WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. Holcomb delivers his State of the State. Republicans release their agendas, plus statewide office holders are sworn in, and more. From the television studios at WFYI, it's Indiana Week in Review, the week ending January 13th, 2023. Indiana Week in Review is made possible by the supporters of Indiana Public Broadcasting Stations. This week... Governor Eric Holcomb gave his best sales pitch as he used his State of the State address to urge lawmakers to support his ambitious, expensive agenda. Holcomb proposes spending five and a half billion new dollars in the budget on programs and initiatives that span education, public health, and economic development. In trying to sell that to lawmakers, he repeatedly emphasized the impact it could have and brought a personal touch. For instance, highlighting a parent who paid about $630 in textbook fees this year. Let's cover the full cost of curriculum fees paid for by parents so that folks like Mandy don't have to pay this dreadful bill ever again starting the next school year. Republican legislative leaders were hesitant to endorse the free textbook plan. Senate GOP leader Roderick Bray would only say that K-12 education funding overall will be a top priority. Whether or not we can get to, to that with the uh, textbooks is uh, something we'll talk about in our caucus, and I'm sure the House will as well. Senate Democratic leader Greg Taylor was struck by what he didn't hear in the governor's speech. We still have people who can't afford housing and who can't afford childcare costs. It's time to take a look at households and not just businesses. In a statement, House Democratic leader Phil Giaquinta rejected what he called Holcomb's rosy assessment of the state. How successful was Holcomb's sales pitch? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney. Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis, host of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly, editor-in-chief of the Indiana Capital Chronicle. I'm Indiana Public Broadcasting State House Bureau Chief Brandon Smith. And Delaney, did Holcomb get the job done? Well, I, I mean, I thought it was a good speech. I thought his delivery was good. Um, whether he gets the job done now will be determined by the outcome of the legislature. I mean, there, there are several things in the speech that struck me. I, as I mentioned, I thought it was... I thought his emphasis on certain things was was also uh, right on point, but I was kind of confused as to when you, com- you you know you create a commission to study public health and they come up with a recommendation and then your recommendation is half of that. It kind of struck me as you know did he lose control of the commission or is he afraid of what the commission's doing? I mean the commission determined uh, after an extensive review that this is what was needed. The other thing that really struck me about the speech, well, two other things that struck me. First of all, the applause lines really were led by the Democrats, not by the Republicans, <laughs> which tells you something about whether or not this is going to actually translate into votes and programs. And the, and the second part of that was that he spent a considerable amount of time telling lawmakers that under the last Republican administrations for the last two decades, we're at the bottom 
of all the categories inviting that, health. That, he didn't quite frame it that way. No, he didn't, but that's what he said. I'm pretty sure it was the Democrat <laughs> ones, too. Yeah. I want to ask about one of those applause lines that was undoubtedly led by Democrats, which was the part about free textbooks. Mm. Democrats leapt to their feet. They loudly cheered. And Republicans, I mean, I watched the Republicans, and they reluctantly, I would describe it, reluctantly got to their feet to, to applaud. Does that give you a sense of how little chance free textbooks has this session? This issue, this issue is hard politically um, because Democrats have wanted it for so long. <laughs> and, now, like here, and now the governor wants it because we can afford to do it in part. Um, but if you, look, if you look at the other legislation that's been filed, there are standalone bills from Democrats and Republicans for free textbooks. Representative Tim O'Brien, an Evansville Republican, his counterpart, Ryan Hatfield, is a Democrat. Has, they both have um, free textbook um, uh, legislation. So I think, that, I think that's one that it's, it's, it's incredibly popular. That is a big deal, even if you means test it or something. Um, that is a big deal for, for parents and something that, that would be noticeable. I think the speech generally, I mean, look, he's trying to do big things. And so, you know, if the knock along the way here is going to be came up short on public health funding when you're trying to put a half a billion dollars into public health funding, or we didn't get $300 million in, in site selection, you know, investment dollars, we got $150 million. I mean, it, it, you aim really high. Right. Because it's going to have, part of this is going to have to give way, give way to other priorities when these 150 legislators go, hey, here, here are all my ideas, too. Yeah. Uh, free textbook stands out a little bit as the one thing that Republicans don't seem to be wholeheartedly supporting of the governor's agenda. I think there's a lot of support for a lot of what the governor wants to do. At least it seems that way so far. Because Democrats have been pushing for free textbooks for a very long time. I think uh, Phil Giaquina, the House leader this week, was talking about how his father, mm -hmm. Ben, mm -hmm. used to push for that. Mm -hmm. That's You're going back a ways now. But the governor has put a spotlight on it. So if Republicans don't do it now, are they going to look bad not doing it? Maybe, because Indiana already stands out in a, in a somewhat negative, negative way, way because it's one of, I think, seven, seven. states yeah, in seven. the country yeah. that don't have this. And when you think about the whole notion, let's get away from this, the close-up, the optics of this, and just say, what is public school? What is a public school education, K through 12? Well, that's, that's the notion that every child, regardless of where he or she resides in the state, gets to go to a, a quality school and get a quality education paid for with taxpayer dollars. That's, that's kind of the fundamental notion, right? Well, but you're basically telling people you can go to the building, but in terms of actually reading a textbook, uh, no. And I rem <laughs> this was an issue, I, you know, when I was an IPS first grader, I remember mom and dad saying, well, we got to come up with what was then the, you know, the huge sum of $15 or whatever. Um, now it's a lot more than that. And I think the governor... Uh, I found it interesting, uh, others have noted this as well, that he, his framing of this, it was, I think it was some pretty, a pretty good tactical move by describing it uh, in the speech and, and in sort of ancillary comments as a hidden tax. Yeah. Because when, you know, if that's, as I mentioned uh, on this week's episode of Indiana Lawmakers, where we focus on many of these same that's issues, wonderful. and it airs on many of these same public television and radio stations, I'll pay you up later for the, their underwriting credit. Um, but, I mean, I, as I mentioned in the show uh, this week, it's, it's showing red to a bull if you say, well, this is a hidden tax. And if you can get Republicans to view it in that way, good luck, yeah. uh, it has a much better You're shot. Really I, I want to ask, on business. Why, why is this such a hard I sell? do not get it. I don't understand why every single know. one of the 150 <laughs> would not be like, 
What yes. a win. So All free tax <laughs> I mean, it's not cheap. Everyone. It's not cheap. I think, it, what is it, $130, $160 million? But in the grand scheme of things, that's also not that expensive. I don't get it. I will say this. There is a slightly different way they could go at it, which we already have an existing tax credit in law for homeschool parents or private school parents who buy textbooks. All you have to do is open it up to public school, and maybe that helps it a little bit that way. That, yeah, that could be a slightly different way to look at it. Position. But that would require some Republicans who have been all about, you know, choice and opportunity as it relates to the private school and parochial schools. That's almost, you'd think it's a well, simple solution. They get reimbursed a lot. I, I, I yeah. recognize that, but, and it all seems right. simple, but... Yeah. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question, and this week's question is, should Indiana provide free textbooks and curriculum materials for all K-12 public and charter students? A, yes, or B, no. Last week we asked you whether Indiana should eliminate its individual income tax as part of major tax reform. 39% of you say yes, 61% say no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to wfyi.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. House and Senate Republican caucuses released their 2023 agendas this week, spanning health care, education, and more. Improving mental health care is a priority for both chambers this year. Senator Mike Kreider says his caucus aims to spend $30 million on behavioral health clinics. Until we get that ability to provide services, particularly in those crisis situations, we're going to continue to have problems, and we're going to flood our jails and flood our emails, our, our emergency rooms, basically, uh, because there's no place else to go to get care. House Republicans are proposing changes to high school that put a greater emphasis on work-based learning, things like apprenticeships and internships, stressing flexibility. Speaker Todd Houston says his caucus will also continue a more than decade-long effort to continue providing more families with public dollars to attend private schools. The current income limit is about $83,000 a year for a family of four. Houston says that could increase. We believe, and, we, and I've always been, I think, consistent in that, Brandon, that, uh, that parents have the opportunity to send their kids to the school that best meets their needs. Spending on school vouchers has grown from $16 million in its first year to more than $240 million in the last school year. Michael Bryan, the Senate has been somewhat more reluctant over the last few years to greatly expand the school voucher program. Do you think they're going to go along with another expansion? They've always, yeah, they've always been the cooler, right? With education savings accounts last year, it comes out of the House at $150 million. The Senate knocks it down to $2 million, and they wind up with, you know, something slightly, slightly higher than that. Um, the big, the companion to expanding vouchers is, is in House Bill 1002, the other House Republican priority, which is this concept that we're going to rethink yeah. high school curriculum. Um, do you kind of, do you treat it a little bit more like college? You get your essential courses your first two years, and then you have more of a, of a career degree focused, you know, junior, senior year on the, on the back end. Does that include entering the workforce and training into the workforce so you're ready when you, when you graduate? That's a, that's a, a a considerable shift in um, in high school curriculum that has been studied the last couple of years. The Department of Education has been working on that. The House of Republicans made it their second top priority, only yeah. to the budget. Um, but it's going to require it's also going to require an expansion of vouchers to help you know to help support it. Um, and, but so I think that I think the expanding vouchers, in addition to rethinking this curriculum piece, is going to be a big it's going to be a big deal for high school students. It's a big deal in, in the context of all these other workforce changes that we've tried to make with some mixed success over the years. Um, so I'd look at that. 
I, there's a lot in the House Republican agenda. We will talk about a lot of these topics over the next few weeks, certainly, of this show. I want to stay on education for a second. Um, in context with our last discussion, and I asked this to the speaker, how do you on one hand say people making north of $83,000 should get taxpayer dollars to send their kids to private school, but I don't know about this free textbook thing? Yeah, well, it shows what the priorities are. And it's not just 83000 that's 83000 for the full amount. I believe it goes up to 150000 that you qualify for some of those uh, vouchers. So, you know, we're not talking about the average person who's struggling to pro provide the textbooks for the students. And you can't have both. I mean, they are so focused on undermining traditional public education that 93% of the students take part in. They are so focused on that that they're doing all of these things, even though every time you turn around, there's another charter school that's failed. You know, you've got, got these things going on here, and, and with vouchers, those schools are not required to take every student, okay? So you have discrimination in those things that we're funding with state money, and then you've got charter schools that aren't showing any results that are better than public education, and at the same time, you're, you're rewarding people who can afford to send their kids to private school if that's what they want to do. And, and, and you're asking somebody who can afford to do that to pay for textbooks. It's completely inconsistent. I want to move off the education part and say, looking at both Republican caucus agendas, has it become clear if there are major dividing lines between the two chambers yet? Not yet. I think they both agree on some health care changes, um, maybe slightly different approaches, but I, and, and they both obviously are on board for a major move on mental health, yeah. uh, community mental health centers. I think they're looking at, you know, $30 million, that kind of stuff. Um, there's a little bit of disagree, not disagreement per se, but the Senate continues with its almost obsession-like push to reduce the pension stabilization fund, you know, pension obligations. So they'll continue trying to say we need to put more toward that, even though we've paid down $4 billion in the last couple of years on that. And we're going to do more. Um, it looks like everybody seems to be on board with paying off yeah. about a billion with the money that we are collecting right now in the current fiscal year because we're going to have a lot left over than we planned for. Uh, sort of the same question, John, which is there's always something that comes up that sort of, you know, that the, the, the two Republican chambers have to, or Republican caucuses have to sort of haggle over by the end of the session. Is it just not clear what that is yet? Uh, it will happen. And, and I think we touched on this a moment ago. Typically, it's the Senate being more cautious to, to undertake dramatic change or to spend right up to what the budget allows. You know, that we've already heard the, the more rhetoric coming from the Republicans about, you know, recession looming, dark clouds ahead, let's, let's, be, let's be careful. And so, and it's not just fiscal policy, it's any kind of, you know, dramatic change. Like, no, you know, let's just, let's wait a little it's bit. It's any change. It's and, not even dramatic. But there's, this, any is, change. this is, I think we do see new fault lines on any number of issues. And I was joking uh, yesterday, and I'm still joking, but it's getting more serious all the time. This is more like a, a European Parliament now because you don't just have a Republican Party and a Democratic Party. I mean, yes, in name, that's what you have, but you have all these sub-factions, and it's almost like who has the ruling coalition uh, that can pull this together? I think it's my, I mean, again, I'm being somewhat facetious, but uh, yeah. it sort of no, works out that way. Together yeah, and, and, and it's not this lockstep uh, notion anymore. Yeah. So uh, it, it we haven't seen all the fault lines yet. We've seen some, but I think others will, will appear. 
All right. Indiana's newly sworn in Republican Secretary of State says he wants to increase election integrity in the state. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Violet Cumber Weiland reports Diego Morales didn't elaborate what he means in a state with one of the most restrictive voter ID laws in the country. At his swearing-in ceremony, Morales emphasized Hoosiers deserve to have election laws in force throughout the state. My priority is to make Indiana a national model for election confidence and integrity. He didn't specify how he would accomplish that. Morales proposed significant reductions in the number of early voting days in Indiana during his campaign before backtracking under pressure from his party. He also previously cast baseless doubts on the 2020 election results, though more recently has said he accepts President Joe Biden as the winner. Nikki Kelly, what can we expect from Diego Morales? I have no idea. Um, I say that because, I, I mean, Diego Morales has not been very forthcoming to the press in the past year on any ideas he has. He he doesn't he talks in vague generalities like and the specific election security. And the specific proposals he did He's have, he then walked back. Yeah. So I'd like to know more. I mean, with other candidates and new uh, statewide officials, I've always had the chance to sit down with them and talk through. That's not a possibility. He just won't interact with the press, and therefore we don't know what he's talking about. They haven't pointed to any bills yet. I haven't seen any bills, and they're still getting posted, so there could still be bills, but I haven't seen any with major changes, uh, so who knows? There was a lot of talk ahead of the 2022 election about secretaries of state across the country who were election deniers. Diego Morales at least at one time was, if he's not anymore. Um, and the sort of impact they could have on future elections. This is an administrative office. How much impact, I mean, he talks about wanting to make Indiana one of the most, you know, the strongest states when it comes to election integrity. By all measures, it appears we already are. are. What can he do in that office outside of advocating for something in the legislature in that realm? Not much. I mean, and let's point out, uh, there were a number of those individuals, deniers, either current or past, uh, out there. But the, uh, you know, the fact is he's one of the few who actually prevailed. Most of the others, a lot of a lot of the others didn't. But he didn't talk. But about as it. a practical matter, with so many of these things, when you talk about sweeping uh, reform, and I'm going to bring about, it's, it's more, it's more rhetoric than it. And I, I mean, sure, we all want secure elections. We all want that to be the cornerstone of our democracy. But it, there's really. The system's in place, uh, and there's I, always a little little improvements you make to to counter whatever threats. Well, there you are see. there are things that could be done. You know, that Congress has suggested with funding where you have you know, it uh, would be very expensive, and and some federal money is available with, and we won't get into the boredom, boring aspects of the intricacies of when a paper trail follows, you know, electronic voting and so forth. Yeah, you could do some things, but short of upending the system in the state. It's, it, by all accounts, is pretty sound right now. The previous secretaries of state didn't have broad legislative agendas that they went to the legislature for and asked things for. At least Connie Lawson didn't. Holly Sullivan, in her brief, relatively brief time, didn't. Um, we don't know if Diego Morales does or not, but how much do you think the legislature will, for lack of a better term, listen to what he wants? It may line up with what the legislature's already started to think about, which is the point you made, this kind of inconsistency in the voting systems we have that the run... And will and should be and will continue to be run and operated at the at the local level. But they, you know, there's some counties that can afford to. When I was Hendricks County Chair, and we invested hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in modernizing 
voting machines. So you had you know electronic check-in, electronic poll books, you know, a digital with a paper trail machines. And yeah, not every county you go do a recount in the county and you know the county next door, and you're and you're dealing with two totally different types of machines. It's inconsistent. Um, so I think the legislature is looking at all right in the next like four to six years. How do we how do we help local government? Bring more consistency to that to that part of the system, which does bring security because they're more you know you're you're talking about modern equipment and and things yeah. like that. So I think that is something the legislature just looks at whether or not to, and that align with what Diego is talking about here. I think. It, yeah, realistically, what can we expect from Diego Morales? Well, I think if he had any power, what he'd do is restrict voting. I mean, he's made that clear. He wants to make early voting um, much more difficult, and he and he doesn't he doesn't think extending the hours or you know, uh, automatic uh, registration when you get your car uh, license. None of those things that would make voting more accessible to people is appealing to him. So I think he'd restrict it any way he could. Uh, I don't think he's going to be advocating for modernizing the system. I think that's a good thing. I think it should have been done years ago because what we need is one consistent way of tabulating the votes with a paper trail in each county, and we could make this easy. There is no election fraud in Indiana. There hasn't been any election fraud in Indiana. Not widespread, in, no. 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 Individual and, tiny cases and here and there. And people can make, people, and people can make mistakes, <laughs> too. But sure. in terms of the type of, uh, the type of uh, invidious yeah, right. stuff that he's talking about, it doesn't exist in this and, state. And to the extent it has, it's been about getting names on petitions to run for that, office. That isn't, yeah. that isn't which, voter fraud. That is, which is that a different is animal. I'm short, going to say that's not, it exactly. doesn't happen at the ballot box. Indiana House Democrats will push for many of the same priorities Republican Governor Eric Holcomb is advocating for in 2023, while Senate Democrats want the legislature to focus on issues they say have been ignored for too long by Republicans. House Democratic Leader Phil Giaquinta says Indiana must invest in its people, and the first way to do that, he argues, is adequately funding public health. Good health should be a Hoosier basic. Health outcomes must rise above partisan fighting. The House Democrats' agenda goes a little further than the governor's. They want to fully fund the Public Health Commission's recommendation at $240 million a year. Senator Shelley Yoder says the legislature needs to finally step up to address a critical need, access to affordable child care. Indiana businesses cite lack of child care as their biz biggest external workforce barrier. The Senate Democrats' plan would provide tax credits for child care. John Schwannis, given what we've now heard from all of the caucuses and the governor, are we going to see bi a lot of bipartisan support for some of the biggest bills that will come out of this session? Well, we, I think we'll end up seeing bipartisan support uh, on some of those key issues that have been thrust into the forefront by necessity, uh, things that have been overlooked, things that are crying out for help. And by that, I'm talking about housing. I'm talking about mental health. I'm talking about child care. I'm talking about public health. Public health. We're yeah. talking about law enforcement and perhaps uh, a, a, a a loss in the number of, for instance, uh, applicants to uh, the state police right. uh, department and, and those who actually enroll in the training academy at not an all-time low, but I think it's the lowest since 1946 or yeah, something. That's right. So uh, now, will that mean that everybody agrees that, that the, to put their name or their vote alongside a figure that has a lot of zeros behind it? No. But I think you'll see acknowledgement that these are issues that need something done. The, the debate will be over. Do we add one zero or take a zero? Yeah, if, if Democrats are voting against some of the, the big bills of the session, will it be because they don't think they're going far enough more than anything else? 
Probably. I mean, you know, if, if we get a budget that has half of what the governor wants, I mean, that'll be a hard one for Democrats to vote against. If it has education increases and free textbooks and more money to go to their local units through ready grants, I mean, you know, that's a lot of improvement. Now, could we do more in their eyes? Yes. And maybe on more issues that impact people and not, you know, sort of businesses, they always say. So... I mean, Democrats, almost all Democrats voted for the budget last time in 2021. Mm -hmm. Could we see something similar this time? If, 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 if <laughs> his <laughs> priorities fine, become fine. law. I mean, if they can, if they actually let those kinds of fundings for those programs through. And it, is it enough? It never is. But, I mean, if, if they markedly increase education funding without taking so much away for vouchers, if, you know, if they do something with child care or preschool, I mean, maybe we could actually have universal preschool. Well, that's definitely not happening this well, session. Then, but now, are, we going to see, are we going to see a lot of kumbaya by the time we get to the end of it? Yeah, to your point, I mean, five people voted against the budget in 2021, and two of them were Republicans. Yep. You know, so, um, so yeah, I think, I think on the... We're hitting, and the governor certainly hit, which is why Democrats are endorsing it, hit a lot of things that everybody likes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a budget that there's something in there for everyone to like, except the you know, train to Chicago. If the caucus leaders leaders were the ones deciding it, calling all the shots, you'd have kumbaya. Yeah. Yeah. It's the outliers right. that are, will threaten well, that. Finally, Upland Brewing Company par partnered with Indiana University Athletics to create an IU-branded beer. And they invited public input, gathering feedback on the beer name, can design, and flavor elements. So, Ann Delaney... What would you call an Indiana University sports branded beer? I would call it Five Banner IPA, and I f think it won't be sold in Mackey Arena. <laughs> That's probably true. Five Banner could become irrelevant nice. at some point, though, which you well, want. Well, I'd be happy to have them redesign <laughs> it for six. <laughs> yeah. What would you name an IU sports branded beer? How about Bruiser? Bruiser. Oh, Ooh, I like that. Nice. that These are a little that more sophisticated. Mine are a little more sophisticated. You got Old Crescent and 1820. All right, that's, that might be the proof. That's the alcohol. 1820 content. would be Nikki, okay. do you have one? Oh, gosh. I, I didn't think this would get to me. Something, something <laughs> about red and white? I don't know. Well, the design of the can. Yeah. yeah the well, cool. Red and white stripe. I think there is a there is stripe. Isn't there stripe? Scarlet and red and white stripe. Red and white stripe. You just have the can. That's offshore stuff. That's That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney. Republican Mike O'Brien, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and Nikki Kelly of the Indiana Capital Chronicle. You can find Indiana Week in Review's podcasts and episodes at wfyi.org slash iwir or on the PBS video app. I'm Brandon Smith of Indiana Public Broadcasting. Join us next time because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Opinions expressed are solely those of the panelists. Indiana Week in Review is a WFYI production in association with Indiana's public broadcasting stations.